Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Known fact about my guest today, years ago, she noticed Jane Leaves and some other actresses on two shows at the same time, and she thought, I want to do that someday. Well, my friend has manifested this dream, and she's now on two television shows, among many other things, and she is an extremely brilliant artist, and I am so thrilled to welcome Saida Ekelona to the podcast. A-OK. Everyone, my guest today is Saida Ekulona. Saida is an award-winning theater, television, and film actress. Saida originated roles on Broadway, off-Broadway, in regional theaters, and international theaters. But one of the things I am most proud of her for is her role in the Pulitzer Prize-winning play, Ruined, for which Saida really won every award possible for her role. You can currently see her on television on Bob Hart's Abishola. And she can also be seen as Tony Chapman in A League of Their Own, an extraordinary series. Some of her other TV credits include Snowfall, Better Call Saul, Bull, Kevin Can Wait, Impastor Scandal, The Haunting of Hill House, Why Women Kill, Room 104, The 100, and Shameless, among many others. And some of her films include Dark Was the Night, Honey Glue, Christian Mingle, The Den, The Taking of Pelham 123, Righteous Kill, and again, many, many others. I am so honored and thrilled to welcome my friend Saida to the podcast. Hello, my darling. How are you? Hello, love. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> um, I'm so happy to see you. I recently was looking through uh, my wedding album to find a photo of a cousin to show to my mom. And there is the most beautiful photo of your face um, during the wedding, just shining light and love and radiating kindness. And that's how I think of you as just this person who brings so much love and good into the world um, and a true artist of incredible oh, integrity. And so I have the privilege of knowing you in my personal life, but listeners today don't all have that honor. And so I'd love to kind of share a little bit about 
how, where you grew up, when the art sort of entered your consciousness, when the idea of like, oh, I want to do this as a as a grown up, yeah. um, entered your your heart and mind. So, can you take me back to like young Saida, and where were you? Okay. Well, first I have to say that that photo at your wedding reflected the energy of the entire event. Your wedding was one of my favorite weddings. It was so beautiful. You and Dom just both glowed and everyone there was just on a high because we were just truly celebrating love. And so thank you um, for me. So uh, yeah, I was born in Philadelphia. I was raised primarily in Maryland. Um, I was, we, we kind of went back and forth between Jersey and Pennsylvania, but ultimately I spent a few more years in Darby, Pennsylvania before we moved to Baltimore or Baltimore County, actually. My father was uh, a reporter for Philadelphia and uh, a TV station there. And then we moved down to Maryland because he got a job at Maryland Public Television. And he started creating and writing and directing his own shows. One of them was called Consumer Squad. And so I know all my rights as a consumer, um, but he also started doing industrials, what we call industrials. And um, that's when he would like involve us, you know, we'd be in the background that, and, but I had been doing plays since I was a kid. I was a pencil in a stationary play because I was so tall. And then when I was in fifth grade, please tell me there's a picture somewhere. I, you know what? I don't think I have it anymore. All right. Anybody listening, if you were also in the stationary play, <laughs> we must see images. Thank you. Okay. Moving on. But I was, um, I was the wicked stepmother in um, Cinderella. Cause I was again, being so tall. So I started doing a lot of the school plays. And then when I was around 10, my parents uh, enrolled me in uh, Arena Playhouse. It's the African-American theater company in Baltimore. And they had like a fame summer camp. And my dad got me in. And so I would just go there every summer and just do, you know, work on movement, do voice, do dance, do acting and everything. And then, so I started doing it more and more in school. And I decided, I just, it just, it just seemed like that was what I was going to do. You know, um, when I went to college, I was an undeclared major. And so I thought I was maybe going to be a writer, but the first class I took was with my late mentor and it was called who's afraid of Edward Albee because she was having an Edward Albee festival. And I was the only freshman in that class. And she was like, listen, we have auditions this weekend. And I went in and I auditioned for this play called The Man Who Had Three Arms, which happened to be a very obscure Albie play that he had directed on Broadway, maybe like five years prior and took it off Broadway after 17 performances and said, no one's ever gonna be allowed to do this play again. Well, she, it's like a three person play. It's very existential. Yeah. She went up to visit Albie with the actor she wanted to play the lead. They spent two days there. Albie said, yes, you can do it. And so I, I didn't know this. So I just auditioned for a play and boom, that's how it started. And then 
she had asked me to be a part of the, the non-existent theater program. And so I helped build it. So that's how it, that's the small version of how it all started. When you um, talked about your childhood, you mentioned a couple of times that you were really tall. Therefore yeah. you played a pencil, adult yes. roles, even though you were young. Tell me what being really tall meant to you then. How did you see being so tall? I liked being tall. I didn't really know what to do with my body. And I'm ultimately only like five, nine and a half. But being that tall for so long, you feel like you're bigger. You right, know? right. So, but I was also very shy. So I was kind of like sometimes hunching over, you know, to Hiding. try to to try to hide and try to yeah lower myself to equal to somebody, which is now in retrospect, that was ridiculous, but right. you know, yeah, just a tall kid. So um, when you finished school and right away are sort of invited to be a part of creating a company um, and, and sort of landing in this, in this world of theater, um, and you mentioned having a mentor, and I know how important it is to have these people who early on in our lives go, you're special, and I see you, and I want to work with you, even mm -hmm. outside of school, which is such an incredible thing, right, to have mm -hmm. a professor actually then in the real world want to continue to collaborate with you. Yeah. When did you, I think you, so when Sita and I were talking about my wedding, I'm married to an actor named Dominic Famusa. Many of you listeners know that. Um, and I believe you and Dominic met, was at, was it the Humana Festival or Luke? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. he was doing tape. What play were you doing? Anton and Show Business. Okay. So you're, you're starting to work regionally, right? Sort of yes. early on. Did you go to New York kind of once this company sort of was established and you're working with this theater company, what brought you to New York originally? Well, it wasn't a theater company. She wanted me to help her with the theater major as oh, the okay. undergraduate. Okay, so to develop a curriculum and, and a- Yeah. Okay. Yeah, to develop part of the theater curriculum. My major was, a, it was a, basically an independent study program. It was theater, African-American studies and women's studies. I also called it the all about me. But mm. um, I actually went to National Theater Institute and, um, at the Eugene O'Neill for part of my senior year. And then it was like, should I go to graduate school? And then I decided to go and audition and ended up going to University of Minnesota. And then I spent a year at the Guthrie, Garland Wright's last season. And then I was like, you know, it's okay here. I'm too cold. If I'm really going to do this, I got to move to New York. And then I moved to New York. As a, as a young woman who had lived in the DC area and Philly, was it culture shock going to Minnesota? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I didn't expect, there are a lot of Ethiopians in Minnesota because of the refugee camp. I don't know. And Can you... Can you oh, explain yeah. more about the refugee camp? Well, there were a lot of, uh, when they were bringing a lot of Ethiopians over to America, they sent them to, um, it's outside of Minneapolis. I can't remember where. Okay. Near the Mayo Clinic, near there. Okay. And so then they would help, um, you know, heal them within their health and then introduce them to American society and say, here's a job. This is what you can do. I'll introduce them to a lot of different resources. 
So, um, especially, but the thing is for the Ethiopians, I'm like, this is such a culture shock in terms of weather and climate. Right. Um, but there were generations there. So also the, the climate was a shock and also the passive aggression. Oof. That was, that, you really experienced that. Oh, absolutely. I, I actually adopted it. <laughs> in fact, my mother, after me being there around eight months, you know, the word interesting is used a lot when you don't really want to comment on something out there. And so um, I would keep saying interesting. And my mother, who is a New Yorker, was like, what the hell is, why, why are you saying interesting all the time? Tell me how you feel. And then I said, oh, so she broke me out of it. But, but a and lot of culture. is that a Midwestern trait? Like, or it was might, that? It might be, but I know it's specific to, I know it happens in Minneapolis a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, interesting. Yeah. So, so what would you say, you know, there are so many breaks that happen for people. We call them lucky breaks. I don't know if luck is part of it as much as finally. So when did the first thing happen that made you feel like I was right to come to New York? Well, um, it actually happened in Minneapolis. Mm. I was in this play called The Firebugs that David Gordon, the choreographer, had uh, directed. And Lola Pashalinsky was in it with me. And on opening night, I met Linda Chapman, Lola's partner. And Linda said, hey, I'm with New York Theater Workshop. When you get to New York, give me a call. I can introduce you to our casting director. And, you know, hey, maybe you can do some readings. I'm like, okay. Um, and I felt like, and so I did. And so Jerry started putting me in readings and workshops and I had never really worked on a new play before. Mm -hmm. And this is, um, and so I got to go to a lot of their, uh, retreats, etc. And so I was building my community art, my artistic community and a lot of friends. And I felt like that was definitely when it was like, okay, I made the right decision in coming to New York. I also mm -hmm. had had some friends from the National Theater Institute who had been in New York trying to make it. So I was with them or I was with New York Theater Workshop people. But yeah, that, that was when I was like, yeah, this is great. And then my agent started sending me out on regional theater as well, which I hadn't realized was an option. So right. Right. that was great too. Did you have, what were your day jobs or or night jobs when you came oh. to New York over the years? How did you I, pay bills? I worked at a, as a receptionist at an internet trading company and everybody there was Russian except for me and two other secretaries. Everybody <sighs> was Russian and they were down on Wall Street and I was living in Brooklyn and I was there for like a year and a half. And then I was a market research recruiter. Everyone loved being my friend because I always got my friends some money for, you know, hey, this is for Kellogg. <laughs> you want 75 bucks cash? Just act like you like Kellogg products. Um, like doing I was, focus groups. Focus groups, yeah. yeah, yeah, but, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, but I would recruit people to do the focus groups. Do the, that, I love that. Oh, it was so much fun. I love, I love that. And I would have to interview them on the phone and I would kind of like, 
lean into certain answers I would want them to give, sure. like for so De Beers and stuff. Right. Absolutely, because yeah, who could they could use a hundred bucks or four hundred bucks totally. sometimes? And of oh, receptionist work, I never was a waiter or wait. I never did any kind of waitering in New York. I don't. I no did waitering that or catering. Mm-mm. None of that. Okay. I don't have the patience. I don't have the patience. <laughs> totally understand. Yeah. So what was like when you look back, kind of like the the thing that you felt like I'm a I've arrived? I think when I first did a show at the public. Mm-hmm. Were you aware of the public as a oh, wow. young person? And did, I mean it's so meaningful. Absolutely. I mean, when we were, when I was in graduate school, rent had been out. And so, you know, it was on Broadway and we were like, oh my gosh. And then learning about the public and New York Theater Workshop. I, right. I think it was at the public, actually, that I was like, I think it was the square. That's when it was like, oh, wow. Because I think also with the public, like that lobby, it's very special. Because, you know, there are all these different shows going on and you might see somebody you haven't seen in a long time. It immediately lends itself to community. And that's what I, you know, I've always felt that about that place. Is is community what you were looking for? Like, mm-hmm. what was it in terms of like, I want to devote my, you know, my career to mm. telling stories? Like, why? Why? Yeah. Why did you want that? Because I think it's important to share these stories with other people. And um, it's another way of learning about yourself and others through these stories. You know, Um, I was very, very shy, but opened up and I can immediately identify with shy people. You, you know, mm-hmm. and I can say to them, hey, that's, this is the way I express myself. How do you express yourself? Mm-hmm. I feel also, I'm the oldest of six, so I'm used to having a lot of people around me. And I feel like learn just being around all these other people, um, even if you're not in direct communication with them, you can always learn something, you know? Did you feel empowered having a lot of siblings? Mm. <laughs> empowered I you know what I think so that's a good I've never thought about it like that but I guess so because we can be a force you know mm-hmm. what I mean there's a mm-hmm. lot yeah I did remember I do remember when I was like in graduate school I called every one of them up and said you know even if we weren't related I would still want to know you <laughs> that's incredible yeah yeah because they're they're really they're very interesting people we have this very s- similar sense of humor um they they invigorate me they inspire me i'm just so curious about what they do and their reasons for it and there's no judgment it's it's been really great to grow up and not hold them to be the person that I knew them to be when they were a child. To allow them to evolve Absolutely. as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, you are, 
you're having a moment uh, where, <laughs> where the thing a lot of people want, I mean, you're such a theater animal. I don't know if your goal was to be on television uh, originally, but that's certainly what has evolved um, mm -hmm. in recent history. Like mm -hmm. literally today, you're on two shows at once, which is yeah. incredible um in in two such different kinds of shows but but also for you especially like in both shows playing a parent and sort of negotiating you know one is a period piece and one is not a period piece but sort of mm -hmm. negotiating those relationships and mm -hmm. and and just being fierce in in both of those those shows Thank but you. where when were you able to sort of I know I heard Dominic on the phone with you one day and I heard like the name Mark Cherry and then I hear like Chuck Lorre, like there are certain people who are like brand names, like household names in the world of producing and writing television. And when, when we think about it, there are very few people whose names we know on that side of the camera, mm -hmm. but they're like really famous for non-actors, mm -hmm. I, I would say. So like, can you talk a little bit about relationships and where these relationships were born with these two and there are more I know who love working with you so much <laughs> well um I was in a pilot of Mark's called uh what did they end up calling it oxblood or something <laughs> and uh, it was because it took a long time to figure out what the name was and they and came we, up with oxblood I think so okay I think so why not I, 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 there, I have the hat somewhere, but um, it, Reba McIntyre was the lead in it. It was really great, and we thought it was going to go, and mm -hmm. it didn't. But Mark, and it was the first pilot I had done, but Mark and I just had this fun banter with one another, and he would invite me over, and a friendship began. We're actually working on something right now. It's been really beautiful. Um, and Chuck, I don't have that kind of relationship with Chuck. I'm just, you know, hired on the show, but it's, I think it's really through working together. Cause I've always asked that. I'm like, how do these people know each other? And it's through either working together or somebody being married to somebody else, or sometimes mm -hmm. it's just purely, Hey, I like your work. Let's hang out. So, so were you shooting Bob Hart, Shola and a league of their own at the same time? Or were those yes. spread that you were? Yeah. So you're like bopping back and forth. Yeah. In August, um, we started League of Our Own in July of 2021. And then in August, that's when Bob Hart started again. And so I had to go back and forth a few times until we wrapped, until I wrapped um, League of Their Own. And I just wanted to say this. You said something about me being on two shows at the same time and very different characters. That is what I wanted. See, because when I, I didn't see myself on TV, not to say I didn't see any African-American women, but I did, but they were very skinny. They weren't curvy. They didn't have bodies. And so I was like, oh, psh, nobody wants me on TV, uh -huh. except for I saw Lisa Nicole Carson, and she was Ellie McBeal's roommate, and she was Eric LaSalle's baby's mama on ER. So I was like, wait a minute, she's on two different shows on two different networks, how can that be? And then Jane Leaves was on Frasier and on Murphy Brown. And I was like, you can do that? You know what, I wanna do that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until five years ago that I remembered that that's what I wanted to do. 
And so I started chanting about that. I was like, you know what? That's what I'd like to do. And last year I realized, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. Can you talk to me about that? Um, what it is like to have no shame about wanting something, mm-hmm. no shame about saying it out loud. Cause mm-hmm. we're so, uh, I feel like we're so worried about saying what we want as if we'll either jinx it or come off as ambitious, God forbid. So right. Right. As right. women. So can you just talk to that? Whatever comes into your mind about this question? Well, there are so many things. I mean, I was, I was, I, I, my family is mostly a spiritual family. We were Muslim for a long time. That's how I picked the name Saida. So I've always known about a lot of different religions and spiritual practices. And then um, I know that my siblings and I, four of us, we did a mastermind. Um, you know, that mastermind practice where you talk about what you want and you uphold what other people want. and. It's fascinating because that was a long time ago and I'm seeing the, the fruits of the benefits from that. And then um, I was in this women's group. I took this course called Mama Gina School for the Womanly Arts. And she talked a lot about listening to yourself and coming up with desires and how women do things differently. And I that's when I started to learn about desires instead of goals and to put um to allow myself actually to have desires okay instead of saying no it's got to be this 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 and this it's like you know what today i want someone to come and give me a beautiful compliment while handing me a flower that's what i desire i desire and so there's a juiciness about it that just expands your imagination and your creativity that i really loved um but that's how I actually got to LA because I allowed myself to come back to LA to say, you know what, I wanna come and see what happens in the second round because the first round was horrible, horrible 10 months. And I got into this play that came out here. And then I got introduced to my Buddhist practice by a cast member. And I mean, even this Buddhist practice, it's Erica, Erica Gimple. Oh, she's so lovely. I heard that wonderful um, podcast you guys had. Um, Angel and person. She's wonderful. I've yeah. actually, we've met once, but she's, I, um, I've been there when she's sung original songs about our practice. It's, it's been, she's, she's terrific. Yeah. So I, in learning about my Buddhist practice and learning about this Buddhism, I just started to apply it to my life and to, you know, I'm not chanting to an outside deity. I'm chanting to myself for myself and for others. And within that, I built a strength because this it's not easy in New York, but my goodness, it is for real here in LA. It's just very different and you have to sustain yourself some way or somehow in order to just not only keep going, but to, you have to find your, what still connects you to your desire to be an actor, to be an artist, because there are so many things that can be in your way, yourself being number one. And so with my Buddhist practice, I've been kind of getting outside of my own way. And there've been a lot of beautiful things and there've been some disappointments, but I've learned from both. And I'm still learning from both. Um, like I'm able to take on 
challenges with my Buddhist practice where before I would like cry or wail or just, you know, blame somebody else or think that the world is against me, but the world is not against me. The world is for me and I'm for the world, you know, you know, so I, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I still cry and everything like that, but <laughs> um, I know that I'll be learning something from it. I know that this is an expansion of myself. And even like right now, I mean, the expansion of myself from now to like even three years ago, it's beyond. I'm just, um, I'm really thrilled with it. But the idea that you have um, found a practice and, and it's all fluid, right? Like I could have you on the show in a year and go, and you might go like, okay, on top of my Buddhist practice, I am now also, right? Because everything, there's Absolutely. mastermind there. I was Muslim. I Well, I mean, you're probably always Muslim at a certain level. Um, I don't know. Or maybe you're not anymore. Mm-mm. You're no. not. Um, okay. So, so no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I see what you're saying. We can still... Uh, grow everything and builds expand. on yeah absolutely that without one practice you know each practice informs the other and and how exactly. we take little bits and pieces of it but but you know i i just am so in awe of of your ability to find ways to always grow regardless of whether someone is giving you the artistic um platform to do it on and mm. how and how do you write also I feel like you've written a little bit I have written a little bit a yeah. little bit but actually I need to I mean I'm working on that project with Mark and but as a I, writer uh-huh uh-huh we're creating something together we've been doing that for the past year and a half so you're um, learning about is that for television mm-hmm. so are you learning about how to write for is this hour or half hour it's uh hour so you're learning that craft i'm learning that craft but actually we're we're going to be getting to the writing sometime soon he's a very busy man so you're talking story story we've actually pitched it which was fascinating tell me about that was it over zoom or was it when people it was over were still zoom. in a room okay it was over so zoom what is that what happens it was great because i got the perfect lead i've got the perfect partner and he was and he was like you take care of this part i'll take care of this part and i was like okay and then do you rehearse they, uh we did a little bit okay we did. i mean it's like one of these things you always hear about and always like how do people pitch and he got his style and i'm like oh okay i can i understand his style i can go right with it and then you know they asked us questions and we answered them on the fly and it was like okay i've got the experience of expanding my explanation of what we want this show to be and the different ideas. And then hearing I hearing feedback and saying, oh, let me consider that because you know, you need the outside viewpoint. So were you familiar, was A League of Their Own a movie that you had watched as a younger person? Were mm-hmm. you familiar with it? Yeah, I was familiar with it. Um, so tell me about when you got this script and what the process was. Um, for you to get the role of Tony in this series. How did that happen? Well, um, I got sent the script and I read it and I really, I love the writing and I loved the two different worlds, you know, the one of the peaches and the one of Max, Max's mm-hmm. world. And I really just liked Tony. I was like, she's a strong mother. She's in the community. 
you've got a woman business woman you've got Mm -hmm. a very loving relationship between her and her husband Mm -hmm. i was i was just really curious as to where it was going to go so i auditioned for it and then i had a so um, did they just send you the first episode first episode first and the sides so you read it and how did you feel when you first read it i loved it i loved it because again it was like a league of their own and i was like black people are in this and then there was the whole lgbtq I was like, oh, what are you guys doing? This is a interesting. A lot of lanes. They're driving yeah. down a lot of lanes. A lot of yeah. lanes. But it's also like, of course, these these uh, worlds existed during the same world of the actual film. Like, mm-hmm. I love this expansion of it. So then I had a chemistry read with um, Shantae. And I think I was coming down with a cold. But it was just, it was just great. It felt like she was my child. We just immediately had this relationship where there was tension and not tension because somebody dislikes something, but she's coming up, she's growing up. How do you, you can't parent a 19, 20 year old the same way you do someone who's 10. Where is she going to go? Mm-hmm. What does she want to do with her life? And yeah, those were the kinds of questions that I had, but if that, I when, love that dynamic. When you did that chemistry read, was that early on in the process? Were, were you sort of able to skip the line and go right to that? Or are you putting yourself on tape and then auditioning a couple of times? Or was it pretty quick that you were in the mix in that way? I think it was pretty quick. I think I, I, went, I went to the audition and then I remember having a chemistry read. Mm-hmm. If there was, if there was um, something, something before that. I don't remember. Okay, and so now you're also on the show, this kind of unbelievably charming, um, maybe at first glance, like just a sitcom. And then you're like, no, this is dealing with so many issues mm-hmm. that most sitcoms don't. I mean, you're you're on two, I'm talking about Bob Bob Hart's Abishola, that that you're also just finding out that the woman Falake, who plays your daughter, mm-hmm. um, a Nigerian woman, one of 20, you know, you think six siblings is a lot. I know. She got 20, right? <laughs> like, it's like unbelievable, her mm-hmm. story. Um, have you gotten to know her? Oh, uh, I love her. I love her. What She's another so great. gifted dynamic duo that you are a part of? Like, you, you, you're just crushing it in the mother-daughter <laughs> dynamic on television right now. Um so, so that's such a different world. It's got that sitcom-y vibe, but it's really trying to, to push the envelope in different ways. And, and what has that experience been like? And what, is, what are like fan reactions to it? I mean, you must be getting noticed now or, or recognized now that we're back in the world walking on streets, although you're right. in LA, maybe you don't really walk on streets. <laughs> um, but like, what has that felt like in terms of authenticity? Oh, um, it's, it's been an honor. It's yeah. been wonderful because, um, you know, she, Ebon Olua is just Frank and just Nigerian. And when I auditioned for it, my sister had told me, one of my sisters had told me that she had seen Gina Yashire. She plays uh, Kemi. She's also one of the creators. She's yeah. a stand-up, And she said, oh, I've seen several of her shows. You should watch it. And I watched one and I said, oh, I totally get the mother perspective. Mm-hmm. It's been really great because a lot of Africans, 
a lot of Nigerians have said something to me. They're like, oh my goodness, I love her mother. I, I love the way you play the mother. And then one of my sisters was living in Samoa and she's always been very international. And people, her friends from Thailand, her friends from other areas of Africa, her other Asian friends from like from Malaysia, they're all like, yes, we understand this type of parenting. So it's even more universal than mm -hmm. just Nigerian. Mm -hmm. And that's been really interesting to discover that people people appreciate it and they recognize it. And the universal, universality, universality of it. That's a word. Um, mm -hmm. What about the accent? Were you nervous about it? Had you done it before? Did you coach with it? Because you oh, want to get that right. Oh, absolutely. I, I had done it before, but I'm in the show with actual Nigerians mm -hmm. and Bayo, who plays Goodwin, he's the dialect coach. Okay. So I always check in with him. I always have at least a good 10, 20 minutes with him. And then that's it, especially because there's so, it's such an international audience. Yeah. I really have to get it right. It needs to be authentic. Well, you yeah, know, it is. I mean, you sound yeah. perfect, but I, I wondered if it was just something that came naturally to you or did you are you good with accents in general? I'm I'm pretty good with accents, but Yoruba is a very tough language. Like my father speaks some of it, but only for certain rituals. And so um, even in learning it, it's it's there's an inflection that is very specific, <laughs> you know? So I, in my work, I like being authentic anyway. Um, so I really was going hard for it. And I'm, yeah. I'm, get, I'm getting it now. But still, every now and then somebody might come whisper something to me. I'm like, okay, right. great. Saida, I, I just love how many people get to see you on their screens weekly in their home. Your work has always been just so deep and so um, layered and nuanced and just so human. Like every time I would see you in a play, I'd be like, I feel like I'm watching a documentary. Like your ability to just live and behave in whatever the given circumstances were, are, it's really breathtaking. I mean, you're mm. just such a uniquely, uniquely gifted artist. Um, Thank you. And so now like that millions of people get to behold that beauty and that originality and that artistry. It's just, um, I'm glad you chanted. Uh, yeah, thank and you. Manifested for all of us. Um, before I let you go, I know that you were like, "Oh, she's going to ask me this," but I am going to uh, ask you this: Is there a little-known fact that you can share about Saida? I think I've shared this once before, but um, I I have a little bit of an adventurous side to me. I went to Barbados years ago, and on the way to the airport stopped off to hang out at a beach and I jumped off of a cliff <laughs> into the water twice. <laughs> that then, is scary. It was very scary. Yeah. I didn't think about it at the time, but, and then you just I just did it. I just did it. And then, but then you I did it like, again. Yeah, I did it again. I don't know. I don't know. Like just to make sure like, okay, did I, can I do it again? What made you do it again? It was fun. Why not? It was fun. Why not? And I surprised myself. I mm -hmm. surprised myself. I also had a Groupon around 10 years ago. I had a Groupon for um, skydiving in San Diego and I did it and I didn't tell anybody. And so I jumped 13,000 feet. <laughs> it was wonderful. Was so, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would so you do I that again? Mm. If a Groupon party? If they had a group on, if there's a two for one, I will do it with you. Okay, good. 
I yeah. will do it with you. But you have, we have to do it with a, where there's a view. You can't just do it over some open field. No. Okay. I got to see the mountains and the ocean. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I adore you. I adore you too. And I got to tell you, when Dominic told me you started this podcast, I was like, maybe one day I'll get to be on it. So I'm so honored. Thank Guess you what? so much, it was, Alana. It was today. Yes. This it was, was today. the day. I love you and thank you for this time and this conversation. I, I love you too. I hope I had a great time. One more thing. I keep getting emails asking how to donate to the podcast. First of all, thank you in advance. You are the kindest humans. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. That is where you donate. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So there you go. These are little known facts that now you know. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.